Now get me back to the past that I'm running out of track. Space Jam. What is going on, NBA Draft fans? Your boys are back. Switching it up a little bit. It's the takeover, Rucker. I'm taking over the No Ceilings podcast for the day. Uh, my name is Corey Tell, but I will be your host. I'm here with the conductor of chaos himself, Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how are we doing today? Corey, I'm doing good. Um, I feel like Metcalf's going to get a little worried that he got fired, but no, Corey's just having a little takeover. We're having a little fun, a little special episode. I'm pumped up for this one. Yeah, we got uh we have a very special guest in the in the house today. We got uh our guy Dan Purcell, former New Orleans Pelican front office executive and now the assistant GM, director of scouting for Sports Business Classroom. Dan, we appreciate you coming on the No Ceilings podcast. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate uh appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me. This is awesome. Look, we're gonna we're gonna get into some draft stuff um in a minute, but we were talking about food very briefly before we started recording you got to give me your favorite spot in new orleans to get food it's a tough one but that's why that's, we bring the heat uh, on the show that's first off that's the best question i've been asked this draft season by the way <laughs> um man it's tough because uh there's different like uh new orleans has such uh, an array of food it's not just southern cajun they have a lot of like high-end italian stuff and they have you know um, they actually have a good vegan area. Like there's some good vegan restaurants as well. I would say it depends on your, on your mix. If you're looking for like just a, a like a dive type of place that is, um, that's like classic new Orleans type food. Um, oh man, I'm like thinking like 13,000 places, but I, I would probably <laughs> go with coops on Decatur street in the quarter coops is like a, uh, it's a dive bar, but it's, it has rabbit and sausage jambalaya, so it has a little bit of a different take hmm. on um, on jambalaya. Their fried chicken is out of this world. Their shrimp uh, is just is amazing. The way they make it, there's something about that place. It, it feels like one of those uh, old places that have the same pot of soup, but it's the same pot. You know what I mean? And they don't don't really clean it. They just finish the pot and then they refill it with more stuff and it gets that taste <laughs> over time. I feel like that's what Coops is. But uh, I would say if you're looking for like a dive or something like that, the Coops is a spot. If you're looking for a little higher end, um, man, there's so many. I, I mean, there's so many. I, I would say if you're doing New Orleans type food and you're in for the experience and like a high end experience, Restaurant Revolution is really good. Um, they're like classic New Orleans type food. And it's uh it gets a little pricey, but I'll tell you what, it's worth it. The, the, uh, the food there is amazing. Desserts are great too. And New Orleans not, is not known for its desserts, but that's where I make my, that's where I make my money. So if you're, uh, <laughs> if you're doing desserts in New Orleans, you have to do Creole Creamery. Hands down the best. I've eaten ice cream in almost every NBA city in this country. I will tell you that um, Creole Creamery is by far the best. No offense to the other ones, but they hand make it. They put it, and they have different types of, that they make into they have like black and gold crunch which they use uh chicory i don't know if you guys ever heard of chicory like the coffee you guys ever heard mm -hmm. of that no not me so, personally so it's like a i guess it's something where in the civil war they ran out of regular coffee and they were using chicory as coffee has the same type of effect i'm not a coffee guy so you'd have to ask somebody who is <laughs> but um but uh they use chicory in the ice cream 
and then so it has this very New Orleans flavor. And it only is it's only during Saint season, so you only get it during one part of the year. So it's really cool. All right, I, I guess that's we can end the show there. No. Um, <laughs> this was now, the food you know, blog. <laughs> yeah. Now th- there, I think dessert wise, uh, what's the pastry that they're known for? Like the French pastry. Beignets. Yeah. Beignets. Yeah. They yeah, lived up to the hype when I went. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you as long as you go to the right places, because there's some tourist traps as well. Mm. that um they lure you in with you know beignet savant you know process and all this stuff but you just yeah. just, just go to cafe Dumont. that's just the spot they know what they're doing they've been doing it a long time that's the spot all right we did the, we hit the food let's get into the nba draft and I, I guess before we get into like specific maybe like player notes and and you know workout updates and whatnot i i think i want to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a, a peek inside of like the front office mindset mm-hmm. uh, and how it compares to, you know, how all the people that are creating content out in the space are approaching the draft, because, you know, there are all of these narratives that you'll see like on Twitter, or, you know, watching videos or whatever. And then you'll talk to somebody with a little bit of Intel and it's like, you know, it could be a completely different, different thing. So yeah, before we, get into the specifics what is like if you're in a front office and you have a top three pick top mm-hmm. five pick what is the mindset is it we need to draft the best player available no matter what mm-hmm. is it we need to we maybe we already have our one guy now we need to start surrounding them with guys that make sense mm-hmm. um or is there an issue like if the front office, maybe they're feeling the heat a little bit and they need to go a safer route? What's is, is there any particular way that you think front offices typically operate that we kind of maybe project or and it's more just kind of down the line or does it differ from front office to front office, depending on the situation? It, it Well, everybody's different, right? Every team does things differently. There's always different process because that's just, you know, that's the nature of the league. And that's what makes good teams and bad teams and middle of the road teams is process and talent, right? That's usually how, how it works. And that goes for yeah. the players, the coaches in the front office. I mean, you look at San Antonio, all those years, I'll use them just cause you know, I have really good friends over there, but you know, they have it just, they just have their process. OKC process, process, process. They're just lacking the talent. They have the, pro- they've proven the process that they mm-hmm. have, but it's lacking elite talent now, right? You don't have Durant Harden and Westbrook anymore and Ibaka. Um, I think it is situational in terms of where your ta- talent level is. So for example, someone like Houston, right? Back-to-back lotteries, back-to-back top three picks. For me, I'm looking at it as I need to just keep getting talent. I need to find whoever that talent is, as long as it's, it's it has to be somewhat complimentary. But if I have, if I think I have Michael Jordan, it doesn't matter who I drafted last year. You know what I mean? Unless yeah. that guy I drafted last year was <laughs> LeBron. You know what I mean? Which I don't think Jalen is that Jalen Green's that guy. I don't think he's LeBron. You know what I mean? I don't think he's that. No, I, I would agree. So, so if I'm, I'm just using Houston as an example, I'm looking at it as I just need to get the most talented guy and hopefully he's a wing. Hopefully he can make some plays and hopefully he, I can give him the ball and he can score in isolation. If I need, whenever I need a basket, he's going to be able to get me one. And that's what, um, and I think just having that is it's, it's different for every team, but I mean, look at OKC. If Shea is that guy that they think they paid him like he's that guy, then I'm looking for somebody 
um, that has two, a lot, tons of, ton of talent at two, but I also need to know that Shea is my guy. And if I'm going that route, I need to find something that maybe fits because I have the pick of the litter after the first guy leaves. Now, if you're if you're Indiana at six, we're just we'll say, yeah, once it gets down there, your talent level is being reduced slightly just nature of the beast. Right. So now I have to look at it as I have to find Damian Lillard here or am I just trying to find talent? I'm just trying to find somebody that, you know, fits what Rick's what our coach is trying to do. What does Rick want at that point? Because obviously Rick's going to want I want Jabari Smith. You know, if he can get him, obviously, you know what I mean? <laughs> but he's not going to be there. He might be looking at Ben Matherin and Keegan Murray and, uh, you know, guys like that. A.J. Griffin, like he might be looking at that. And now we have to look at and say, what, which of those guys upgrade our athleticism, our, our playmaking and, you know, our ability to get stops and score. You have to go through what your coach, you know, values the most at that point, in my opinion. Do you think, Dan, like you're bringing up coaching and like when it comes to fits and, you know, evaluating these prospects, do you think like, I don't know how it was for you guys when you were with the Pelicans, but does the coaching you know, preference or the coach's preference on like a prospect, does that weigh heavily or is it just just a little bit when it comes to the whole big picture? Because I know it's not just like the GM's preference. There's scouts have say like mm-hmm. your regional scouts, your directors of scouting, all of that stuff. It's kind of like a cohesive unit with some front yeah. offices. So do you weigh that as much as everything else, or is it just a little bit? Um, I, th- I think more or less you have to have the coach's input, especially this high, because they are, they're the ones that also – they're in it with you, right? They're like right. your teammates. They're your, they're my, if, if, you're in, if you're the guy in charge of the whole thing, he's, that's your number one guy is your head coach. You know what I mean? Like that's your – how is he going to be – can he coach these? Our job is to say – as front office, can he get along with these guys? Can he get reach reach to those guys? Can he get through? Can he communicate? Is his style a good fit for the player too? You know, because there's a lot of times, you know, uh, you look at maybe Demarcus Cousins in Sacramento. It took them coach after coach after coach till they finally got to coach Malone to somebody <laughs> that that. And I don't know who. I'm not saying it's anyone's fault. I'm just saying that you could just see that the communication and the trust wasn't there. But then once Coach Malone got there, it changed. Right. You know what I mean? So how does that affect, you know, if I have someone like Coach Malone, I know I'm going to have to get a guy that's ABC. Or if I have Coach Carlisle, it's ABC, most likely when it comes to communication. And it's it's not even basketball stuff, because in my opinion, mostly anything can work. Mostly, not everything, but most everything that's basic NBA defense and offense can work across the board. It's just do your guys buy in do they feel like you have their best interests at heart? Do, do you, can you see that the communication doesn't break down with them when you lost three games in a row? You know what I'm saying? Like things like that are more important than sometimes of who we should take. Now there are guys out there that won't take a guy unless their head coach is on board and that's okay. And it's mostly in the first round because first round guys are more impactful than second round guys for the most part. But there are, I've seen coaches that who, you know, they're in the whole process. They're like, man, this is great. Just like, who can we add? And, and they're just, those head coaches are not, are sometimes rare because, you know, so, sometimes coaches can say, this is what I need because this is the way I want to play. And this is the, the system I use. And that's viable. And that's not, you know, that's, that's a, a total um, viable. I, I think that's like totally okay from, you know, having that vision. 
Um, and then some guys are just like, man, I can't wait to get my hands on this second round guy. I can see his, you know, I just, I watched some clips. I had our video guy put up some clips and man, he's just, if he's available, maybe is that somebody that we're looking at? Like I've seen that too. So um, I just, it's a lot of situations, but at the end of the day, the guy who's making the pick is usually the one in charge. And sometimes that's, you know, that's, that was um, who was uh, like, not that pop would make it, but uh, another head coach slash uh, guy in charge, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. were making those picks. Uh, who, who comes to mind? Uh, Stan, I think Stan Van Gundy in Detroit. Right. You know, Stan still has to make the pick. It's on him. You know, it's him at the end of the day. So now, do you think that it, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about front office and like coach, there was always the, the, the rumored like Tibbs really wanted Draymond. And I think the front off, the Bulls front office had taken Marcus Teague and, mm-hmm. Do you think that if you kind of ignore the coach, you can find yourself in a situation where you kind of lose trust and now you're you're not on the same page and it might not, you know, be a major thing right away, but maybe it starts rippling or I mean obviously that's a, a one specific example and and sure. and it's a kind of an I mean what was that the 30th pick Marcus Teague was something like that, you know, I back in the day, right? right? So that's which right, is yeah. it kind of like a shot in the dark at any point. Um but do you think it's important that the coach has the buy-in? It helps. I'll tell you that it's better than, it's better than him not having buy-in. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, if, if I had to choose between my coach buys in and he doesn't, I would take, you know, he buys in. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? You want to be able to work with your coach. That's why hopefully if you hired that coach, you probably chose someone you're able to work with. Um, that's usually how it works. Usually, you know, you usually hire yeah. somebody that you feel you can work with. You don't always have to agree. You don't always have to be on, you know, you guys don't have to, you know, roll around in a bed of roses every day, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it, you have to have some level of, you know, trust with each other and be able to communicate. And also, you know, and maybe this is a dirty secret I'm giving out, but you know, sometimes it is the front office's job to, to look out for the coach you know, maybe he has a, a bias towards something, or maybe he feels maybe his, one of his former players said, you should draft this guy or, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's a yeah. lot of ins and outs. And sometimes it's our job not to just to corral the idea and to corral, you know, the, the, the coach or staff or whoever it is and say, that's good. And I like that you guys brought that to the table, but we also have these needs and that does not fit a need. And we're going to have to work on, you know, and if, and at the end of the day, if you're the guy in charge, you're going to have to trump everybody and say, you're going to have to trust that I know what I'm doing. You have to trust mm-hmm. that I have the best intentions for our team, that I have the best intentions for you. And that sometimes you have to overrule them. Sometimes they're not, that maybe they don't see the whole picture. You know, I, I if, if it's me, I probably have every piece of information on a player and we'll say a draft player, you know, somebody in the draft, I have every piece of information on him. I know him better than he knows himself. I ask him questions when I interview him that I already know the answers to most of the time. You know what I'm saying? So I have a different vision of who that person is rather than maybe a coach because his job is to coach our team. And especially if we went deep in the playoffs, he's not looking at the draft. He's not looking at pick 27, 26. But if we lost early or we didn't make the playoffs, he only has a month, 60 days of information in front of him. But I have, I've been on player X and Y and Z I've been on those players for two years. My staff, I, I have, I've had scouts, I've had people front office person. Like we've been corralling these guys, you know, they're corralling the information, just getting it into the, into the, 
uh, data system. So we know who they are by the time way before our coaching staff probably even sees them. Now, you know, you mentioned like you got this information on these guys for two years. Mm. How did COVID affect this, that type of thing where, you know, like certain States, it was just shut down. You know, you Mm -hmm. couldn't really get games. You couldn't go watch the games when you're in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that kind of, you know, circles us to a guy like Shaden Sharp, who, Mm-hmm. is a guy who no one has really seen outside of maybe like the combine, you know, one-on-oh workouts and mm-hmm. the limited film from, you know, Dream City or, or Uplay, whatever. And right. he's kind of a mystery and you you just don't have that same information on him. So like how would a front office approach a guy like Shaden Sharp? Because it's abundantly clear that he's talented, but every year – we see guys who are projected to be the number one guy, the top 10 guy. And then you mm-hmm. have Peyton Watson and Jaden Hardy and Caleb Houston. And, and some of these guys are projected second rounders now. Yeah. So with a guy like Sharp, who maybe he benefited from not playing at all, mm-hmm. but how does that mystery and that intrigue kind of factor into a front office's decision-making? Yeah. COVID COVID was the ultimate test of your network as a, front office exec, right? Um, with everything being shut down, you can't, obviously you couldn't go, you couldn't be, you couldn't do, right? You had to rely on your network. And I think, I think the young, the young executives and the young scouts, the guys who, you know, that are 30 and under that are in the league are probably the ones that were hurt the most just because their network was a little, it just natural numbers. It was just a little smaller, right? So your network was super important because it, the college coaches you really relied on now for that fee, for the phenom and the um, I'm sorry, the, uh, the 18 and under crowd because they're recruiting them and they're having a tough time, but you know, you kind of rely on them to, you know, give you some insight and that's the power of your network, right? How far can I reach um, to get to a kid? Because I'm not going to be able to go see him obviously for NBA rules, you know, but then on top of it, if COVID goes another year, that means that either the league shut down or, and this is just thinking when COVID was, yeah. when we were in the bubble, right? If COVID goes on another year, we have another bubble. This draft is going to be the most mysterious draft of all time. It's literally, who do you have? Because college basketball probably shuts down if the NBA shuts down. And then you have, they're going to go play in independent leagues, but not really because nobody's going to go. So independent leagues can't sell tickets. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's... um everything would have had to been multimedia, you know, or social media and multimedia stuff and video and it workouts. We, we, you, all three of us probably be sitting up here on YouTube watching <laughs> random workouts of player a and B because that's all they can do is go to go to their workout at their high school with nobody else around, you know? Yeah. So, um, but it was the ultimate test of networking. Uh, COVID was, I thought that was, it was an interesting wrinkle, but with, with sharp, He's, I don't know if he's the Benedict Arnold of Kentucky or like what, what it is that I'm, I'm not sure what I, I want to put on him yet, but the mystery can help and the mystery can hurt by, by doing okay. I thought his combine workout was fine. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I don't know that he's better than some of these guys that are already have a body of work, but when it comes to mystery guys, I personally, I'm more of like, eh. I want to go with more what I know rather than, and listen, if he turns out to be Kobe, I'll take that one. You know what I mean? I'll take right. the risk of him not being Kobe 
compared to him being Kobe at that point. And I would rather, I mean, if it was me, I'd rather go Ben Matherin or somebody like that because I know, I know exactly what I'm getting with Ben. You know what I'm saying? And Sharp yeah. maybe end up being a better player. But for me personally, it's not, uh, I wouldn't be sitting here totally interested. Now, if he's beyond talent and it's, you can tell he's LeBron, then it's an easy, you know, you just pick the guy and you just roll with it from there. But he's got to be LeBron. He's got to be KG. <laughs> he's got to be Kobe. He's got to be those guys. You know, he, like Kevin yeah. Garnett, people knew KG right. was, a, was a man at 17. These guys didn't come out of nowhere. Sharp Sharp came out of nowhere, right? All of a sudden, he's the number one guy in his class and everything. LeBron James was on magazine covers, ESPN, you know, back when he was in high school. And this was at a time when that stuff was not as regular and and readily available as as it is now, right? So I'm with you there. I guess it comes back to then it's got to kind of be a a, a team or with an executive who feels like they have the job security to where if they swing and miss – they kind of have that cachet to be like, you know, we took the, we went after our guy. Um, I think that's a, a little bit of a myth. I'll just be honest yeah. with you. The, the whole job security thing at the end of the day, it's just like any other job, right? You're hired to do a job. You can't worry about things you can't control. You can control this draft. You can control what your team looks like as a front office executive you can control how your team looks. You can control the coach you have. You can control most time. You know, I'm just speaking in generalities, obviously. But you're able to con- – you only worry about the things you can't control because the things you can't control, they'll take care of themselves if your process is good, if you have a good working relationship with your head coach and your players like your head coach in terms of they listen to him and they respect him when it's, you know, two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, you're down three. Are they going to listen to him, you know? You know, right after that media timeout, like what's – What's going to be, what's the mindset? I think if you have that stuff, honestly, and, and you have a really good scouting group, obviously in a really good cap group that can help you, you know, fit, find all that information. I don't, I, what, if you're, do, if you feel like you're following your process and you feel like you're doing things the right way and ownership has been with you and on the, on the board with you, why am I worried about my job? If they don't want me, okay, I get it. That's, 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 that's for them to under. That's their that's their onus, right? Their onus is to be, does this guy give us what we want and how we represent ourselves? And I think that's, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of a fallacy. I, I never worried about it, you know, like, oh, my God, you know, you know we're not sitting in the draft room yeah. going, oh, my God, is it going to, is it this year? Is it <laughs> next year? Like, no one's, you just keep the process. Like, worry about the process. Results take care of themselves as long as you have really good people, you have good processes, and you guys trust each other. And I think you win. When yeah. that happens, you win. So I, I, I kind of want to circle back to something we, we touched on quickly earlier. We were talking about OKC and, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about SGA and, you know, you look at last year, they took Josh Giddy, mm-hmm. they took Trey Mann, right? And I, I know Rucker, you, you could touch on it a little bit when, when they were like positioned at four before the lottery, you know, we were kind of going to write an article about like, let's say everything goes chalk and they're staring Jaden Ivy in the face as the consensus number four guy. Like, yeah, maybe do you take the talent, but is it something where now all of a sudden you're pissing off your max guy a little bit? So I don't know, Rucker, now it's that maybe has shifted into the King situation a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of in the same scenario. So I don't know, Rucker touch on where we were at. 
Yeah, this is actually what I wanted to ask Dan. And I'm just trying, Corey keeps stealing all my questions, Dan. So that's why I've been quiet. Um, But I think it gets interesting because I agree with you about the job security um, kind of being almost like a myth, because I think if you're, if you're sticking to a plan, you, you go all in, you're like, okay, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I'm going with what I believe in. But say we're putting Sacramento just for a hypothetical. This year's Sacramento? Yeah, yeah, this year's Sacramento. So they're picking fourth, and say you get to that spot where it's, hey, Jaden Ivey might be the best player available on our board, but all of a sudden we're creating a a logjam that, you know, we just traded Halliburton to get Sabonis. Now all of a sudden are we going to bring in another guard after we took one in the lottery? We still got Darren Fox. Do you think maybe when you're a front office guy in that position, you could be swayed to be like, hey, Ivy might be the best guy on my board. And yeah, we're picking fourth, but I got a guy next to him. Hypothetically, we'll say Keegan Murray or something. That might be a better fit to get all these guys to kind of get some time together and not have that headache. Or do you think you just stay with, hey, we're still rebuilding. Um best player available because I know ownership also comes into it and it's like, Hey, there might be some pressure for results immediately. Um, but I just wanted to see what you thought about like that. So I have spent way too many hours thinking about Sacramento. It's, it's a lot <laughs> Welcome of right? to the party. I have, I, you want to hop I've, in the piece we're writing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have spent way too many hours going over this, you know, in my mock, my, my current mock, I have them taking Jade and Ivy, right? Yeah. I, I'm still on the fence. I wasn't like, rock you know that's what it is but i felt like at four you have fox he's a really good trade piece as well if it's me if you're asking what i would do if i was sacramento i would try to find a trade partner to get to at detroit or a trade partner with indiana um or somebody that needs an upgraded talent indiana is really the team that detroit i think is going to trade out probably with portland you know, upgrade their roster a little bit. They Portland will probably get Jeremy Grant. They Portland has to do something to get right. something. So I, I'm kind of yeah. looking at that as, as a move, right? But if Detroit, Indiana needs talent across the board, they need wing talent, they need scores, they need guys who are just uh, that level up their team, right? So if, if I'm Sacramento, and this is just me, you know, kind of putting it out there, I would be looking at trade partners, uh, for a team that needs more talent and whether that they want somebody established like De'Aaron Fox or they want somebody like Jaden Ivey at four or whoever they want to pick. If they think Keegan Murray's that guy, whoever they want to pick, I don't care, right. but I'm going to tell, but if it's me, I'm telling them, you know, I'm, I'm willing, but we have our guy here at four, even though they may or may not, you got to play a little chess while other people mm-hmm. playing checkers, right? Our guys there at four, we'll take them if we don't get the right deal. Right. But really, in the back of my head, I might be like, you know what? I hope we get a deal because <laughs> if I can pick, because if I can pick up another one next year, and I move to six, I'm looking at that next pool of players as kind of the same thing after Jaden Ivey. They all they all impact the game in different ways, but they're the same type of player. Keegan Murray's, Ben Matherin's, AJ Griffin's, I'm, you know, just the um, Shaden Sharps. Like they're going to give you an up, upgrade in talent, but they're kind of almost the the same bucket Tier. of guys. Yeah. yeah, they're the same bucket of guys, right? So for me, if I'm sack, I'm going, okay, I'm not getting the top three guys. I have a potential all-star on my hand, Jaden Ivey, but I do have a glut in the backcourt. Can I play with Fox Mitchell and him at the same time? Probably not. Jaden Ivey needs the ball in his hands. Aaron Fox needs his ball in his hands. Uh, Mitchell's great because he can play off and on. So he's he's the piece I keep because he's talented, young, and cheap. 
And then I'm looking at it as, well, is this a Fox trade or is this a Jay Nivey trade? That's how I'm looking at it. Or four, if you want to look at it as four, whatever it is. Because I think at five through eight, I'm going to get the same impact player on my team. Right. And I can get a wing defender. Like A.J. Griffin be great there. Doesn't need the ball to be – he's a great guy. Doesn't need the ball. Doesn't make his team – doesn't piss his teammates off. Great, just Absolutely the greatest kid ever. <laughs> Makes corner threes, defends the hell out of the ball. Great. And if you get him at eight, that's way – or seven, at Portland at seven – that is way different than having to pick him at four or yeah. five. That's a plus. You're getting an asset, probably. Plus, yeah. you're getting a first round pick next yeah. year, probably. Right. And I'm not, I'd have to go through what picks are owed and whatnot, but I'm sure. just you. You know, I'm just kind of spitballing it here as I've been thinking about it. So for me, if I'm sack, I'm looking at it as we got a gift. Let's try to parlay this gift into a guy who fits our team a little better because Mike Mike Brown needs wing defenders in the way right. he plays defense. He, he, I mean, the league does in general, but the way Mike plays, he really does need somebody who's big, strong, long on the wing to defend, you know, those big threes. And um, I think that's kind of the route I would be looking at moving forward. I don't know what team that is. I don't think it's the Pelicans. I do think it's Indiana or Portland. And if you can get an asset, even if it's lottery protected first next year, it's still a great, that's, you drop two spots for a lottery lottery protected next year or maybe it's top 10 protected you can get the value if it's really somebody they want so that's where i would be with sacramento i think that's a really good approach and and i think it's probably something they've you know as soon as yeah. that that happened right yeah. and then also there's the rumors that sacramento is like how do we trade up to two uh right like a little bit of whispers whispers there uh Let's like talk about AJ Griffin. Let's like talk about AJ Griffin a little bit. Just to finish, can I finish Sacramento real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Sure. Come on, so, don't let Corey start. take over. Go ahead, Dad. So, well, it's it, your it's a, so, so, so here's my thing with moving up, right? Uh, the it, it, I'm looking at it from the history of the team, right? Every time we've moved up or we have thought this is our guy, it has not worked out, and it's not like a team curse or anything. It's not that. It's that it seems like we as a group, and I'm speaking as the Kings. You know, we as a yeah. group get enamored with this guy like he's the next big difference maker like he's the next guy and to me I think that's a it's a it's a folly that you're gonna just keep repeating over and over I would rather have as many shots at this thing that I can rather than giving up a lot of stuff to take a big shot unless I know it's like I know that this guy does it if Jabari's there at two, yeah, yeah, it's got to be Luca or Trey Young. Like, right, that's right. how I don't know that I would trade up in this draft because if I'm trading up, I need a playmaking score or a ball handler or something like a guy who's going to have the majority of the possessions and impact majority of the possessions if I'm going to move up. I don't see that. Jabari's catching, he's a catch and shoot guy. He can take it off the bounce a little bit, but he doesn't, he's an awful passer. He's not, he turns the ball over a lot. Like, Tell me who you're taking that you want to risk the farm for in this draft, and I will tell you that's nobody. And I think that's where Sacramento would probably do better to say, you know what, let's take another crack at this next year. Maybe we'll get – even if we're bad, maybe we get 6-12. and 12. Or maybe we're maybe we get really lucky and we're 3-10. and 10. You know yeah. what I mean? Or 3-11. and 11. To yeah. me, even if I'm 9-15 and 15 next year, like 9th and 15th pick, that's way better to me than – because I can then package those two picks, move up if I got somebody next year that I feel – you know, and that's where forward scouting really comes into play. And I, I love forward scouting. It's like – I thought that was like the lifeblood of a draft. Is It's not so much this year. 
because you've already done all your homework. It's next year. Can we get something like OKC does this? They play it like a fiddle, man. They just do everything great. So I wouldn't be surprised they move on from Shea, by the way. Grab more. You know, they, they pumped his value up. He's a really good player. Maybe a team will want to give him some first for it. And I, I'm just to go back to OKC. I, I think if you look like at what some of these big time players have have fetched as far as like draft pick compensation, I mean, Shea is young, yep. talented. Uh, I mean, he played on a playoff team early on in his career. Like he's a guy who you could put on winning teams. So, I mean, he would, his value has got to be way up there as far as young prospects in the league. Right. And you have your, and to come full circle on OKC, I know we're talking about sack, but, um, and we pivoted to OKC, but I, it just popped in my head. <laughs> Sorry for any listeners that are like, Oh my God, who are we talking about? OKC <laughs> or sack. Um, but OKC in this point, but you know, I would say if they follow the pattern that they've been doing, it's genius because they're going to hit sooner or later. You're going to, and it doesn't have to be the number one pick. I don't mean hit by you're the number one pick. You're going to hit on the talent that you need, or you're in a position to get the talent that you will ultimately have to have. And that's where it like, and that's why I'm saying going back to Sacramento, we've tried this whole, this is our guy, Bagley guy. You know, you, you have this whole thing where you get it in your mind. This is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. And maybe we need to take more shots at it. Maybe we need to take an OKC approach to it and say, let's get as many shots at this, at this thing as we can. And then we'll see how we play out. You know, you know, bring up Bagley has kind of given me a little spark in my in my head. Uh Bagley was a guy who, I mean, the type of spark. Well, the the whole year he was projected as this top two, three guy, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Consensus boards, like this is the guy. Not my board, but if it was yours, well, this is this this is kind of this is (laughs) kind of the question. But if you look and you really break it down, I think one of the things you really have to take into consideration, especially when you're picking that high, is like can this guy play in the playoffs? Like, does he have the skill set that is going to allow him to, you know, not get played off the court in a deep playoff run? Bagley hasn't proven that he can't, you know, isn't going to be played off the court in game 42 of the regular season. And a lot of those weaknesses are not, it's not like some uh, mind boggling thing. Like I can't believe that, you know, he's not switching out onto the perimeter or he's this big time shot blocker. Right. Yeah. How much do like, does the consensus play in sometimes to how front offices are making decisions? Does it at all? Or is it just no. a, a, a bad kind of evaluation um, with a pick like that? No, I just, uh, in general, you, that's why you have a team of people, right? Yeah. The consensus. When people say consensus, that means that it's a, it's usually a bunch of media. Yeah. Guys it's, it's a media do their homework. And they don't, cause there's some really, really good. You guys are also on there. Like real good, like you guys do your homework, you guys focus on the on the details. Like there are really good and talented people who do that, but it to say it affects a team or teams in the league, it does not. Uh, I they may look at it and say, okay, well, how does this compare to my board personally, and why do they feel this way? Like I would do that sometimes. You know, I would say, oh, why do you guys have random player here? You know, I have him at nine. Why do you have him at seventeen? You know, mm-hmm. where's the where's the difference? And a lot of time it was just off resources and information. I had more resources. I had more smart people that are there every day that I could read scouting reports and things like that. And they were doing it themselves. So there's only a limited amount of, you know what I mean? I, yeah. Really, that's all it was. It was just a, 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 it was more of a result of time and resources than it was talent level by the person writing it, you know, right. most, most of the time. Because most of the time, if you're that detailed, you're usually like 
putting a lot of work into what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if you that ta- answered your question, by the way. No, I, I think it. I think it did. I mean, and I think that's the right approach. I don't think you should feel, uh, you know, if, if you're working in a front office, obviously you're good at what you're doing if you made it that far and you shouldn't feel pressure because, you know, some idiots like us on a podcast or, or, you know, saying that this team needs to take this guy. Right. Um, But I, you know, I, I, I just wonder with, is it maybe sometimes just every year that goes by, we start getting a little smarter and like, cause I don't, does a guy like Bagley get taken it to this year? Well, no, cause the league changed. Right, the league changed, but that's not yeah. all that long ago that that happened. League so. changes quick. It changes quick. That's, that's the whole thing. It's like you know, ever since Golden State went on their terror, the league has been changing rapidly because they've been trying to counter what Golden State did all those years. And then, of course, with Cleveland, with LeBron, you had that too. So you were adjusting to two different um, types of teams, right? You know, two different kind of uh build so once that once that really happened the and the new cba hit and then the new tv deal hit it's been a more rapid process because there's been more money in the system and you know you're able to push more and do more and you can adjust more and you're paying more guys you know these guys more yeah. and these guys. so the, the the league has just been changing rapidly and i think that's the same thing with the style of play and also if you if you really look at the coaching that's happened in the league the last few years it's a lot of young guys who mm-hmm. were um who got either got their start as an, as a bench coach front row, a bench coach as an assistant, or they were like really deep into um, their team's coaching system back when golden state, well, the tail end of San Antonio and golden state started their, the whole, you know, change of how the game is played. Um, And I think you're seeing the result now. And those coaches are just more, more just, they've been more exposed to having to change all the time. They think that they have to change the way that the players are built and the people are built and the, the system is built constantly. It's, you know, um, it's just one of those things. I think it's just, it's just a faster league in, in terms of change. And I think more people are accepting of change now in the league. And that may be my own bias, but I feel like more coaches and more front offices are more they're open-minded about things rather mm-hmm. than maybe before they were trying to, you know, stick a, a square um, or what is it? A circle in a round, in a square, in peg. square peg. Yeah. Yeah. A round hole. Yeah. Uh, do you think there are any guys in that kind of like top five range that you look at and you're like, is this guy going to be able to play in a playoff series? Like, do, are we sure? Or do you think we're this year? It's kind of like, eh, we got the right guys in the right spots. I think that, I, I think this year, top five going to be fine. I, one of those guys can play in the playoffs uh, because they're skilled. You need skilled players in the playoffs. You can't have, five guys who are just average at everything, you're going to get beat when Jimmy Butler scores 42. You know what I mean? You're going to get beat when LeBron goes off for a triple double and scores 30. You know what I mean? Like you need to have something, right? But I think, I, I think with the top five um, that I, I believe in the top five, I think you're going to be okay. If they, it, I think every one of those players can play in the playoffs. Now, do they succeed? Do they take their teams to the next level? Remains to be seen. But I think if you put any of those guys, honestly, all five of those guys, I have, you know, obviously the big three and then Jaden Ivey. And uh, it's like a tie between Keegan Murray and uh, Ben Matherin for me. Mm. And um, I mean, we'll just say Keegan Murray because I think he's more like a consensus, as we were saying, five. Yeah. You know, the fifth fifth best player. I think every one of those guys could have played in the playoffs this year and been okay. They might have been exposed because they're young and they yeah. just don't know any better. 
but I think their skill set would have been fine. Because you had, I mean, you got Chet and Jabari that could literally push the ball down the floor, pull up for three in, in transition. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, right. That's gonna help you in the playoffs. That that just helps you in the playoffs. Now, let's talk about somebody who's outside of that range, but probably still in the lottery. And I don't know, maybe he's a guy wild card because of his youth and his his frame, his athleticism, but maybe it's a little harder to envision. Like, what do you think about a guy like Jalen Duran? Who there, yeah, you see a path. Yeah, like, here we yeah, go. Yeah, well, yeah. a little bit, Dan. It's about time. Uh, uh, so, I modern NBA, right? For me, yep. this is just my own preference. I want bigs that have vertical spacing that are able to run the floor and contest at the rim. If they block shots, alter shots, bonus, right? I just want to be able to get at the rim and make things make something happen, right? Make things harder on guys. Um, and I think, I think, I think Duran does that. I think he does that well enough. I think he's mm-hmm. super athletic, but I'm not as high as I'm as you guys are. Um, I, I think I was listening to one of the pods where somebody had him at four, uh, the other day. I'm not sure who, who, who you guys remember who that was. I was listening to one of the pods. Somebody had him at four, maybe five. And I went, wow, that's a really high area for him. I think if to talk to our crew. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah I, I'll forget. I forget who it was, but we'll fire um, someone. No big deal. We'll cut, you know. <laughs> just that's why over, you have so many over Zoom, yeah. right? You're gonna fire yeah. them over Zoom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turn in your playbook. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, but you know, I like him as a player. I like his athleticism. I'm not sure his feels great. Um, I and feel is big for is well, I just I, is big for bigs. I punned is big for bigs. <laughs> Um, I don't say centers or power forwards anymore. Bigs, it, yeah. a big is a big. Ken Birch is a big to me. You know what I mean? He's six eight. Yeah. Um, so you know, bigs for me need to be able to give me vertical spacing. Now, obviously, if you're a shooter, if you can obviously shoot the ball, like then that's a part of your skill set. You don't need to be a run, you know, rim running big who does that. But big athletic guys like Jalen, I think, need to be that, and they may that may be their ceiling. You know what I'm saying? Like you're going to draft him saying. This is who he is. He'll get better, obviously, with our coaching staff. And, you know, he'll get better touch around the rim. And you hope one day it just it clicks for him. And next thing you know, he's, you know, you can post him up and he can throw dump off passes or, you know, he can catch it at the elbow and face up in one dribble, spin back to the middle hook. You know what I'm saying? Like you're hoping yeah. that he can do that at the NBA level because that's what bigs like him do on top of rim running, rebounding, offensive rebounding, defensive rebound, obviously. And then have you know being a threat at the rim on offense and defense yeah i think the reason that you have the people that are like oh this is a guy maybe he goes really high you know versus a guy like mark williams who i still think is you know a potential lotto guy but like you kind of know what mark williams is Mm -hmm. right it's a little more cut and dry in your face whereas like and it's not like he's all that much older than than jalen but he is a couple years older where it's like all right but what if like Jalen's got the what if, like what if he does turn into Bam? What if he he can play at the level of the screen and hard hedge and recover back and get to the yeah. rim and guard out on an island? Because, you know, he has shown enough flashes of that, right? So where you can yeah. kind of get it creeping into your mind. Um, do you think that like feel is something, is it like, because he's obviously very young. Do you think feel is something that coaches can develop like through watching a ton of film through just getting reps, or is it something that like is just more innate and you kind of see it earlier. You don't. Yeah. It, to me, I think it's a little more innate. 
for bigs, I think wings have an easier time. Like uh, you look at PJ Tucker, right? You look over the PJ is like my favorite case study of all time. <laughs> He's one of my favorite players ever. Like I love PJ, right? I love his game. I love the way he approaches things. But you look at his arc, and he was this, you know, guy coming out on the draft who, like, he tried to dribble, one dribble pull up on guys, and fade, and you know, all this stuff that he just he had no feel for, right? Right. He goes overseas. He develops a feel now, right? That oh, I can defend like nobody, and I'm physical, and you know what? All I got to do is hit a three. To me, that's smart. And then he just develops a feel for defense over time where he, he has good anticipation. He's able, he's doing his homework. Like, but for bigs, I think it's like, it's really, really hard to, to be a big in the NBA and not have feel when you come in because you're just going to get run off the court. You're not going to have time to develop it. Cause you're just going to yeah. get run off the court because you got to play Draymond. You know what I mean? You got to play <laughs> even John Collins. You know what I'm saying? Like you're yeah, playing yeah. guys that they're just literally going to say, he doesn't know what he's doing. He can't, he doesn't know when a double team is coming. He doesn't know that we're going to just pick on him and put him in every single screen and roll uh, either on the strong side or, or the second side. Like we're, it does not matter. He is going to get step ups, false drags, like everything. Right. Or, you know, pick and roll screens at the top and then drag yeah. the transition. Like we're just going to pick on him the whole time. And if you, you have no feel for that, you're just going to get run off the court. You know what I mean? So for bigs, I think it's just really hard defensively and offensively to have a feel. Now, if you can get the big reps, if you can get him reps and you don't get him off the court and you just let him play, there is a chance that he could say it could click for him one day and go, look at JaVale McGee. It took him 10 years, but it, you know, <laughs> yeah. it clicked for him, mm -hmm. you know, but that came with starting to take care of myself better. My mental health is better. My physical health is better. I'm stronger. I'm more agile. You know what I mean? I understand who I am, but that you look at JaVale, didn't have great feel for years. You know, so. yeah, but like sure. DeAndre Jordan walks right in the gym and he knows I dunk, I run, I block shots. And you know what? I know how to do that better than anybody made a career because he had a great feel for it. When you're getting to two like comparable like prospects like that, Dan, is it do you get to a point where say you're neck and neck with Jalen Duran and Mark Williams, where you're you're falling in love with the upside of Duran, but you love the feel that Mark Williams has is the deciding factor then kind of the intel you get about each guy or how they might interview with you? Like, does that mm -hmm. swing your entire feel for how you might view a prospect like in the front office or do, cause me and Corey have had a lot of guys or, or a lot of fans ask us like, Hey, like, why does he go so much later in the draft? Why did he yeah. fall down? And it's like, we try to tell him Intel is just as big of a part of this whole process as what you see on tape. So, I mean, could that swing everything? Has an interview ever happened with your team that it's just completely shifted how you guys saw him? Like you're just blown away? Well, like I said earlier, usually if a guy's coming in for an interview, we already know him. Right, unless right, he's right. maybe Unless he, maybe he's like a second round guy and he's a young guy and maybe he just didn't, maybe you just don't know all about him because he wasn't that great in college or he, or he had a good five games, but, you know, something like that. But um, the intel is like king, right? Right. I teach this at, at SBC at sports business classroom all the time. Like Intel is king. And it's not so much that you're looking to Intel to bash the guy or make him out to be a good or a bad guy. Your, your job is to tell his story. Right. And then once you tell his story, you're almost like, a you know, like Aesop, you're trying to tell Aesop, you know, I don't know if you guys remember who Aesop was, he was an old English writer and whatnot, you know, he said fairy tales and like, but he was always conveying a story, right? You're always conveying a story. And so as, as 
you have to look at it as I'm conveying this story to the, at my team, to my to the to the group, to my coaching staff. And does this guy fit what our culture is because of his story? You know what I mean? And, and what he's done and what he will do and how he's been doing it. Um, so Intel, to me, the fit from a cultural standpoint is some can sometimes trump the player. If it's LeBron, you figure it out. Kobe, you, figure it out. you know what I mean? Words, a, yes. There's a there's a line of like what is and what isn't, but um, but like if we're talking about Mark Williams and Durant, you know, and Jalen, like I'm sitting here going, well, what are both those guys like? Because they're not going to be my best player, right? They might be my best big, and that's right. a big thing. That's that's a role that we need, and you know, do those guys accept that role? Do they accept the roles they're into? You know, LeBron had, had I think it's a totally underrated quote he had. He said, the NBA is a role league. Do you come in and accept your role? If you don't, you're not going to play. I mean, that was simple, what he said. You know, I don't know if you guys remember that. But he just said, you know, this league's a role role league or or a role. uh, You have a role. Are you going to? And I think that is the first thing in my experience for guys who are coming out of college or from overseas who were big time, understanding that, you are probably 99.9% not that guy. Right. You need and you need to understand a lot of these guys get that, which is great. Those are the guys you want, guys who are over themselves, guys right. who get it. And um, but I think like the guys who can't understand that they're not that guy yet, not saying you can't be, but you're not that guy yet. So when you come into the league, why don't we work on a couple things? year one, year two. And you know what? If you speed the process up in the first, you know, 20 games and you're doing this amazing and you're doing this great, look at Herb Jones. Like he came out and he was, you know, playing defense like nobody, maybe the best in the league on ball defender at some point. Then we grow, then we, okay, good. Now you're getting some more minutes. Now let's work on this. Let's work on that. So I think that's more for me. If, if, if I have to pick between those two and I'm, you know, we're saying we need a big, need a rim protector. We need somebody that can run up and down the floor. These guys are pretty much the same. Physically, Jalen's probably better. He's probably has a little more upside, but I, and you know, I'm, it would go down to me, like just that little bit age, a little bit of a factor, not a great factor because people get caught up in age. You don't need to. So um, the one thing about age, I'll, I'll say it just to, you know, add to the age thing. You also have to look at it. I look at it in contract years, right? First, second, third contract. Years based upon those contracts, how old are you going to be? Because if you're 32, 33, and you're on your third contract, you're going to cost a lot of money, right? Right. But if you never pan out and you're 19, you're going to be on the same scale as someone who's 22 and didn't pan out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what you're. That's why people like to go younger because they feel like if this is a guy we're keeping, keeping, keeping on the third contract, at the end of it, he's going to be, you know, 34. 30, right, 30. right, and they, but rarely do guys do that. So I think it's kind of like almost a folly. Like we're not right. going to have a, we're not going to have a guy for fifteen. Most likely, yeah. we're right, not going right. to have Reggie. We're not going to have Reggie Miller. The odds are against us having Reggie Miller on our team. Right, right. Even even LeBron, dude. It's like, you know, the the guys that are like that. It's like if you don't put the the championship pieces around him, you're not going to have him because he's leaving on his own accord. Right, out of right. here. We're out. Peace. Yeah, like, that's what it is. Um, and that's kind of like, we've been big on Keegan this year. Like, you know, like we just love the intent, like the intangibles, the focus, you know, I, I saw him 
from behind the pen, behind the bench. I got there early, was watching him warm up and seeing his process, his routine, how he is on the sidelines. And like, he blew me away just from like his level of focus and, and his maturity. Um, and you could just see like, he's, he's ready to go. He's locked right. in. It's and, and part of that comes from maybe being a little older, but like, okay, he's, he's 21 right now. Like that's, I look back now. I'm like, that's so young that's so young. And like to think like 11 years down the line, like you're saying, like for that third contract, like if you're thinking that far ahead, it's almost like a, a positive for him that he's going to be good enough that you think he's going to get a third contract on your team. Right. So like that, I, I don't know how, how much of a negative we should really be weighing on guys that are a little older. Yeah. I it's, it's um to me, I think if a guy fits in terms of culture, not so much, you know, basketball, you can get things to fit. You can run th- different things. But if he fits culturally and he fits your goals and he has talent, then I think that to me, I think that's just, you know, that's a guy you want. And hopefully he's super talented and like, you know, within, you know, two years he's starting and he's a core player on your team. Who's somebody who you're a little bit higher on than, you know, the the general media consensus? Oh, man. You know, it's actually kind of weird this year. Usually I have like, I had one of my guys that I love referencing is Ken Rich Williams and everybody knows me. He, he like, they, they just tired of hearing that name probably. Right. So I always, I always try to like, I not try to, but I always look for that Ken Rich Williams type of guy, somebody you can get in the second round or undrafted. And he's probably going to be around. Ken Rich will probably have a 10 year career. Nobody will know him. Again, right. NBA, NBA guys. Will. Yeah. Well, well, he's going to have his Jersey. No, yeah, no fan is going to be like, oh, my God, we signed Kenrich Williams today. But he's such an important piece to a winning team. Right. Guy who can play 15 minutes a game. He can shoot 40 from three. His rebound rebounding rate is out of this world. Like, he can help a winning team, right? I always like finding those guys. In this draft, I'm finding myself looking at a lot of the same guys. So I don't know, just to be honest with you, off the top of my head, I'm going to say I don't really have a Kenrich Williams this year. There are guys out there. there. There's, you know, there's a couple guys who I think could be okay. And I think they have a shot. Do I see Jokic? No, I don't see a mm-hmm. Jokic in this one. Um, so to me, I will be honest with you guys. I don't think I have a Kenrich Williams in this draft yet. Yet. It's yet. it's May 30th. <laughs> Rucker, who's that guy for you? Oh, I'm going to make you choose because I know see, you got a couple. See, you see that right there when he went, oh, man. That's when you know that that this draft has a <laughs> bunch of guys that that when you see them you go oh he's just he's like that guy or yeah. he's like that guy or oh you know what he's just like that guy too and they're all <laughs> the same guys who are a bunch from thirty to forty eight yes 50. that's this draft and see right there when you went uh, I knew right away you, you <laughs> felt the same way I did well you I'm the same, same way, way as you Dan like I I I would rather find the guy that goes forty eighth that sticks in the league for eight plus years that I'm like, that's a good value. Someone got a great, you know, value in the draft. Like that's finding a, a diamond in the rough, even if he's not averaging 15 a game. So like you said, this is a, this is a crazy draft this year because you really do get to a range where just a little bit of movement can be with the 25 to 40 range. You could get a completely different order from who you ask. Yeah. Um Corey, if you're making me throw one name out, you can give a couple. I'm pulling pulling out my complete mock right now to maybe (laughs) pull a name because, like, usually there's somebody on a mock if you've been doing it long enough. Yeah. There's somebody you have already put it, your eyes already been on them for months. 
I, I, I mean, he's probably going to go first round in my opinion. I like Christian Brown to go to the right team and be a, a guy that plays a long time in the league. Um, just cause I think he does a lot of winning plays that might not show up in the box scores with some fans. Wendell Moore is probably another guy that might go later than that, that I just like those guys that are, you know, if they go to the right place, the right fit, obviously the drafts fit dependent, but I do think those guys could be nice little complimentary pieces. Um, I, I, was, I, I mean, I was trying to get a bite on Santa Clara, Jalen Williams. I was I've already to- loved him too much. I can't stop saying <laughs> that's been I my guy all year. If Kennedy, like I just pulled my entire mock out here. Like if Kennedy Chandler fell in the second round, that'd be a guy. If he's he gonna, fell, I don't know that he is. See, I think he's, he's going to go late first. I, he's I, this, interesting. He's interesting. This is why I like me. Dan. I, I'm happy we had Dan on because he brings up Kennedy Chandler right away. This is a great. Oh, is that your guy? Pass. No, what I just can't. Answer? I can't quit I, it. I think Kennedy is an interesting case study this year because yes. he's one of the first guys I wrote about this year because I love guys like him who have a control of the position, who play with like pace, and you know, obviously, like he has fun physical tools. And but I try to think and I look and I'm like, all right, well, he's. 5'11 without shoes. The 6'5 wingspan helps for sure. And, and personally, I'm not too concerned by that. But when I look around the league, and especially when he was like, you know, he came into the year, he was like a lottery guy right, coming right, into the right. year. Yeah. I'm like, there's just not a lot of sub six foot point guards who become starting level guards. And then you look at last year and you do have the case like Davion went top 10. Yeah. Right. Because he's, but he, but two, he's a monster guy. defensively. Oh, Remember right. the, those smaller guys. The, He's super strong. Right, you right, think right. Guys who are, are smaller 100%. than that have to have he, the build of – He gave Cade Cunningham the business. Yeah. He gave Cade Cunningham the business. He's one of my favorite players, by the way. I love I love Davian. Same. Where I, I had him probably higher than anybody else in, in the media last year. He's I just – I loved everything about him. Yeah. Then you look at Sharif Cooper, who was a guy who was, you know, projected to go really high and he he drops into the second obviously he's not a two-way guy right he's you're hoping that he's can run your offense or whatever is kennedy somewhere in the in between those two guys yeah i actually you know the thing about kennedy that i like i like he has really good poise for a smaller guy yeah if you if you're smaller they i think they have him listed at six one i think i think that's a reach but i, I think they have him at six one i saw him in, i saw him at the draft workouts um, I think, I think his poise and he has sneaky athleticism. Mm-hmm. He's got I, hops. Yeah. I, I think it's not even the hops that I'm worried about. It's more of the explosion the with the ball, the burst, yeah, yeah, the explosion yeah. with the ball, because Slow to if, fast. You, if you want to be a good point guard in this league, you have to change speeds yes. at every turn. Right. Chris, mm-hmm. Chris, you just watch Chris Paul, like mass, just the maestro, man, just <laughs> speeds. He can go slow, fast. He changes you with a twitch and then he goes, you know what I mean? Like um, that's, you got to have that. I think he has a little bit of that. Like, is he better than Devonte Graham? Is he? I'm asking you guys. Kennedy? Yeah. Kennedy? I love Devontae? Kennedy. <laughs> I, I, I think that... Devonte Graham was a, a backup point guard for a playoff team last year. Is yeah. he better than him? I trust him to play both sides of the ball effectively a little bit more. And I trust him to, I think, do a little bit more. I think he's going to be more efficient than than Devontae Graham because outside of like his pull up shooting and stuff, it's like, what else does he really do as a scorer that you that you trust from Devontae Graham? Well, there's your answer, right? Yeah. So now you already have a baseline of like who he is in the league. Okay, now I know that at least on a comp, 
I have him better than Devontae Graham. So now I know right. where he's at. To me, I think he goes probably 20. If I had to guess, depending on what Denver does with Monte Morris, um, with their cap situation and whatnot, that's a that's an interesting spot. Milwaukee's an interesting spot. I've liked um, him there. Yeah, I think Memphis I, with the Tyus Jones situation. Yeah, Memphis another good one. Yeah, I think Memphis. I have if Max Christie is there, I'm actually I actually have Memphis because Memphis that fits Memphis is like yes, it does. team to us to a to yeah. a T. But yeah, I could see that. I would rather take Christie because the upside, right? Height, shooting, length, upside. I'd rather take someone like that. But I mean, if if he's there now, oh, you're talking at 29. I mean, I I, I could see either way. I mean, it, honestly. I mean, okay. they got two I, they got two cracks at I it because yeah I I don't I think 29. that in that range also like you can make an argument for any one of those guys going in any order probably based in, and I think maybe you you know you, you look at theme. what your team needs right like yeah that's the theme with this draft is what I've come to and that's something I was going to say to you guys is you have these buckets man and you have buckets every year of guys like you know but you always have outliers as these buckets you know as one bucket is done the next one pops up right. and then you go through that bucket and then, and then maybe you have an outlier and then, and then you have another outlier and then you're like, okay, I don't know about these guys. Right. This, this draft is not that this draft is literally, you have your top three, you have Jaden Ivy, who's, who's a wild card, Keegan Murray wild card in terms of what do the teams value that are picking there. Right. 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 And then Keegan Murray as well. So you have two guys right away who they, OKC could love the kid and take him too. You right. know what I mean? I'm, mm-hmm. And OKC is the type of team that would do something out of the box like that. But I'm just saying, but as you move down, I'm just seeing like, I don't see a lot of disruptors, guys who like um, make people argue about, are they going to go here? It's kind of like, well, yeah, he could because right, like, right. all the, all the other players are, they're kind of all the same players. Like, like Max Christie is a guy like that could, he's a, he, uh, he's a disruptor of the draft. Right. He, right. Somebody could fall. AJ Griffin's another disruptor. Like he mm-hmm. can disrupt the draft. Maybe the Kings love him so much. We're taking him at four. It's just what we're doing. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find something that worked for us. We're taking the guy that fits us best at four. I love I love AJ Griffin, and so uh, I, I'm one of the the more high guys on on AJ Griffin and within our our crew. That's not to be high. The only thing the knock on AJ, and I, I think I put this out in my mock that the knock on him, he's not a killer. He's not. He's not some. He's not Dame. He's not, you know, anybody who – he's not going to be the guy that takes the last well, shot. He's out there quoting Bible shot. verses on Twitter, so that's one of the, the commandments. Not, you know, you can... well, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> he's not going to be Praise the Jesus. second guy. He's not going to be the guy who shoots it with 18 seconds left. He's not that guy, right? He's going to shoot it with a minute after the ball got reversed, but he's not going to be – that's where his knock is, knock, you know, when it comes to people, you know, that I've read. He just he's just like a go with the flow type of guy, kind of like just he's, almost he's like, like in the background, you know. But it's not your, a bad thing, but no, he's your three and D guy, and you're right, he's your right. glue. Yeah, he's, he's he 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 can play day one because his body's he can play day. One. You can work on his shot a little bit, even though he shot forty. It still has some mechanical issues, but you can make it a real. You got that wide NBA, base. The, yeah, the NBA coaches are amazing. I I, I don't think we give enough credit to yes. NBA assistant coaches mm-hmm. who are in there every day, like. I watched our I, I watched like um watched our guys like go through stuff with the, and they're in there every day working, working, working. I don't think they get enough, you know, enough flowers, I guess. Yeah. yeah. For their work. Because it's grinding at eight thirty AM every day after, you know, it's a grind. 
Yeah, for sure. I also think he's got a little bit more off the bounce than people may give him credit for because one, I mean, if you go back to his high school tape, that's kind of the player he was. He was like this ISO crew, you know, shot creator slasher kind of guy. And then this year, you know, he comes in after the injury and he, uh, to me, it was a positive. He was just like, all right, we have Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels and Jeremy Roach and Paulo's getting some reps. And it's like, how do I fit in? And as you mentioned earlier, like star in my role. Right. And that's like being a guy who's cutting off ball. It's a guy who's spacing the floor and knocking down shots, keeping the game simple and just fitting in. And I saw him twice, once at the beginning of the year in the, in the Kentucky game where he didn't really get a ton of minutes um, right. coming back from the injury. And then at the end of the year against Miami, where he just took over for a stretch where I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is the guy I remember. And that was projected so high. So I don't know. I think people maybe are afraid of the injury stuff that he had in high school, which I mean, I guess is fair, you know, but I've heard it all counts. I've, I've heard right. that it's, you know, nothing like, it's not like Michael Porter Jr. is back, you know, from right. what I've heard, but uh, I mean, perfect. I mean, if you want to talk about perfect fits in a system, you want to know actually who Griffin is like perfect for Minnesota, Chris Finch's system. Mm. Perfect. Uh, you know, guy that just he can slot cut over and over and over, and he'll do it without you know, and hit without even blinking an eye. You want me to slot cut? You got it, coach. Slot cut, <laughs> and then fill out to the opposite corner or fill out to the ball side corner, whichever one there, yeah. and then we'll work it around, and you'll get a corner three. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, to me, to me, someone like you know, I know he's not going to get to Minnesota, but um, but he's that's the type of guy. Like that's what I think of when. Do you I think, think there's a fit? Do you think there's anybody in this draft who maybe is you're a little bit lower on than people tend to be? Corey's trying to yeah. get all your secrets now. Here we here he you goes. Know? We're going to work uh, now, Dan. That's okay. We're in crunch time. This is in, now, Intel now, yeah. City. Yeah, now we're really – So you guys are going to hate me, I think, from what I've heard from you guys. No, ELE, we love everybody. No. <laughs> except Come the on. guy we're firing who had James Yeah, except that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. we got to start <laughs> listening to some pods right? tonight. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at my mock here. So for me, there's there's three guys, different tiers, different buckets here. Um, and you guys aren't gonna like this, but Keegan Murray is. I'm still worried. Yep, I'm I'm worried about. <laughs> I my thing with him is he's done so much gro- growing, right? He's he's he his story's crazy. How he start, right. where he started and where he got to. Just the guy you want, right? Worker, worker, worker. If we're talking just from a basketball standpoint, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that he's going to have as big of an impact. I hope I'm wrong. God, geez, I, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I worry about his impact when I watched him. I felt like he disappeared in games. I felt like there were some games where he just, you can't find him. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, poof, he's back. You know, and then he, and then you can't find him again. Right, look right. At that big, look at that Big Ten schedule. Like there'd be games he, I would be like, is did he play? Did he even play? And you know, he has twelve points. I'm like, this is like Big Ten schedule. We got to go here. You know, I need fifteen to eighteen every day out of you because we're trying to win the Big Ten. Like tough conference. We got to go. Yeah, there's if it's a, if if he got twelve against like Norfolk State, I'm making it up. You know, no offense, Norfolk State. I'm just saying, like <laughs> if 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 that was the case, I wouldn't be sitting there. I'm probably like, well, it wasn't really a game that he probably played. You know, there's a lot of different yeah. things. We're playing Big Ten schedule. We're trying to win this thing. Like we're trying yeah. to get to the tournament. He's got he's got twelve against against Rutgers. You see what I mean? And that yeah. and not, and Rutgers was a better team than a lot of people thought. But still, like that to me, I think there's a little more in the NBA. You can't 
if you hide like that, there's somebody who's going to take your job. There's going to be a guy who doesn't hide. And there, and if you hide and you're not impacting it, coach is going to be like, why do I have, a, why do I have you out there? Like, you're the number five or six pick in the draft and you're disappearing mm-hmm. on me. Like, come on, man. Like, I need you to consistently – I need to know what your NBA elite skill and you go to it when you're struggling in the system. You know what I mean? Um, so what range would you feel comfortable with him in? I mean, it's not that far down. I mean, six, seven, eight is, I mean, if, if, Pelican's, yeah, got him at eight, if Pelican's got him at eight, it's a no brainer, right? Like Lang, you know, it fits what they're trying to do. I'm not saying he's overdone at five. I'm, I think five is like, I don't think he can, if you're the fourth yeah. pick, I think that's demanding yeah. a little too much from him. Right. Um, but he's got all the skills. Like you look at him and you're like, oh my God, I love this guy. Like, oh my yeah. God, everything about him is great. And he's a great kid and his story, he's just worked. Like everything about it, you fall in love with. I just worry about the translation of it. I'm not saying he's going to be bad. I don't think that. I don't think that. I just don't know if you, if you're the number four pick, you were supposed to come in and make an impact immediately. And I'm worried about the transition to the NBA. It may take him a year. And then on top of it, is he going to be as good as we think he is? So that's the first guy. Um, I'm not a huge uh, Malachi Branham fan. I'm not. Mm. I like him, but not for the NBA. I think ultimately um, – I mean, he's going to have to turn into Jamal Crawford quick, or he's going to have to turn into like somebody like that, that can like instant offense, because I don't know that his physical skills are good enough. Um, and his God given skills, unfortunately, maybe not, he's not athletic enough, you know, moving his feet. He's not as great moving his feet. Sometimes his shot, his shot taking is questionable. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you're like, like my Jordan biggest question Crawford, with him is the rim pressure. Is the rim that's what I'm. That, that's that, that. That's another good point. I was yeah. thinking about all the other stuff. Yeah, you're right. There's another point I wasn't thinking about. So he's gonna have to be Jordan Crawford. You guys know. You guys remember yeah. Jordan Crawford? Like, <laughs> how could we how forget? Could we forget. Yeah. Hey, he's gonna, there you he, go. He's gonna be, like, you gotta <laughs> be like that. If you're gonna be that type of player, you gotta bring some explosion. You know what I mean? And I don't know that he has that. Um, <laughs> Not if Blake Braun has anything to say about it. Right. Yeah. Um, two other guys that I'm still 50-50 on, uh, Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. I loved him in the beginning of the season. I watched his workout. I, you know, and again, workouts don't shade me one way or the other. They don't make me yeah. change my mind or anything, but, um, worried. I'm a little worried about his motor. I'm a little worried about how much go does he actually have? Cause if he has go, he's super talented. Jeez. He's like, Super Here's my talented. question. Here's my question with him. Yeah, I've been I got a little, I, question too. Go ahead, Corey. I, I, I've been a little lower on him too. Like when I first wa- started seeing him, you know, we mm-hmm. just first started getting a little hype. I'm like, I get it. You know, I get it. He he could definitely create space space with his handle. He's long. Mm-hmm. My thing is like with a guy like that, he has to play with the ball in his hands. Has to. Has to. He, there's no other avenue for him to to be out contributing on the floor offensively if he doesn't have the ball in his hands at what level does he have to reach that it actually makes sense to give him the ball? You know, like, right. He's one of the, what's his situation. He struggled finishing. He struggled finishing. He struggled as a shot take a shot maker. So you're looking at a project and, you know, maybe he goes to the G league and gets a bunch of reps and figures that stuff out. But at, at what pick are you willing to, make that investment where you're like, all right, we can't even get a, an immediate contributor. I just think yeah. he's really far away. I see it. I understand the vision, but it's like, to me, it feels far. Yeah. If, if we're going precedent on that, that I would say probably think Trey Murphy, you know, Trey Murphy went to the G league. I think he was what 17 last year. 
Yeah. He, he yeah. went 17, I believe. And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm doing it off the top of my head. I'm trying to look it up quick. But I think he went 17, somewhere in there. Sounds, so that, that, right. that would be my um, that would be my area that I would use as precedent for that type of structure. You know what I mean? But you got he has to want to go down there or be open to it. Like at least Trey was open to it and he went down and he developed and then look what happened. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Mm-hmm. He saw the value in him go get going and getting game reps, does Blake. You know, so mm-hmm. so my precedent would be, okay, well the Pelicans did it with Murphy. Maybe we can replicate that this year. But he has to want to do it. Do you do you think with guys like Branham and Wesley that we're talking about, even even Patrick Williams, the year he just skyrocketed up the boards, do you think front offices fall in love with the idea? of what a guy could turn into what instead of like realistically what he is, but they, they get this idea of like, Hey, he could turn into this where it's like, well, can he like, are we just thinking that that happens every year? And it's yeah. Like, and, and I think, I think it's natural. I don't think it's like a, a, a habit or anything. I think it's just natural. Right? Right. We're, we're trying to, so we're trying to make it so that, you know, we're giving guys trying to, and I think that's where discipline is Run floppy, yeah. and I can get something, and I get something to run down back on track. Process, process, process. It's so important to just stick to your process when you I can identify that emotions come into it. Never make an emotional decision in the draft. You are asking for trouble. You're asking for it. You're literally saying, I don't want to be employed. I don't want to be here. I am just going to go off of either I'm mad or sad or happy, whatever the emotion is. Don't do it. Fall back on what you do. Rucker, anything else? No, I I think that was spot on because I've always said, you know, I think GMs or front offices when they try to – I compare it to baseball. If you try to swing for the fences every year, you're going to strike out. And some years if the smart ones take – they want to get a single. They want to get a double. Like Presti, I think we've talked, me and Corey have talked to a lot of OKC fans. We're like, can we trade up from 12? And it's like, Presti might not want to. He might want to just let the board fall to his, you know, lap and see what happens. Because, the Grizzlies. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's it's what Dan said with yeah. uh, Sacramento earlier about saying, like, going from four to two and trading the farm. That might not be smart because if you do that and strike out, you might be back at square one all over again. And um, I thought that was just perfectly put. We didn't even get to the top three guys. We're so deep into the other part. <laughs> let, me, let us know if you want to get guys. after it. We, you know. <laughs> maybe maybe we saw we we uh, do the top three as its own podcast, and we just go we just go after it, and we we have you on again, and we Sounds we good. just we we go deep into the top three every nook and cranny of of their games, and and really try <laughs> to figure this out because I think everybody 
is a little bit confused up there. Uh, everybody's got their own preference, and sometimes it's good to talk that stuff out. Um, thank you so much for for coming on yes. and, and chopping it up with us, Dan. Uh, please tell everybody where you know you're you're doing your work and uh, where yeah. they could find you and and just the whole thing. Yeah, so uh, we're doing sports business classroom. Uh, we're doing it this year um, again at Summer League. It's a completely immersive experience. And, you know, we always have NBA guests that walk in and, you know, we, we're having rumors of, you know, the commissioner coming in. Hopefully that's mm-hmm. locked in. But we usually we always have, you know, guys like, you know, Tommy Shepard, uh, Mark Cuban, like these guys are, you know, we have Rick Carlisle's come, you know, we just have guy after guy. But it's not about the guests, it's about what you learn. Right. So we have real. I don't want to say real here, but let's say guys who have worked in the league before and they're teaching you what they know. And it's been really cool to be a part of it. Uh, Larry Kuhn is in charge of it. Everybody knows Larry is the salary cap godfather. Um, and he does a great job with not only letting us as, you know, former NBA, you know, personnel uh, do what we do, but he's great at teaching what he teaches, obviously, which is salary cap. So you can go into different ways. We have a broadcasting wing. We have a scouting wing. We have a salary cap wing. So, And we have people from all aspects, people who want to be agents, people who maybe want to be uh, in front offices or coaching staffs. We've had people placed um, you know, in the G League by teams. They've been hired in front offices. Like, you know, we just have so – it's so such a great experience. It's like none other out there. And, you know, I wouldn't – let's put it this way. I wouldn't – you know, put my name on something that I thought was, you know, not worth anybody's time. Cause you know, we're talking about the, the amount of knowledge and connections that you make at that base level. You just can't do it anywhere else other than the sports business classroom. So if it, if you're interested, uh, www.sportsbizclassroom.com and uh, you know, we'd love to have you. And if, any more questions, please. You know, you guys can uh, hit me up on Twitter. I am underscore Dan P. Um, I'm there. I am him. yeah i mean look i i think if you've been in the space at all you've heard nothing but good things about about the experience from people who have done it so make sure uh if you're a listener and you feel the itch to to get involved in in the sports world to uh to go there and and you know get an experience in vegas yeah, I think the knowledge that you leave with is the most important part. I mean, yeah, it's super cool when you have like Daryl Morey and Masai, like you and Masai, you know, Jerry and Rob Palenka. We had Wes Wilcox last year. Like we have all these guys that come in, right? And you're learning from what they're they're teaching and talking about their experiences. And then we have drop in guests too. But really, which where I think the most value again is not is what you take home with you in terms of what you learned, how you can apply it, but also the connections. I mean. You're just not going to be able to talk to Adam Silver anywhere else. You're just not. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. And I think being able to be in front of NBA personnel that are active personnel, uh, it can really help. You know, it can really help your network. I I don't know how it could hurt. No, I I can't possibly hurt to be in front of uh, Mark Cuban and Adam Silver and, you know, all the other guys you mentioned, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I mean, you, I can run down the line. You know, there's <laughs> literally the who's who, it, and it's crazy, and they all support it, just because honestly, it's just a good program. It's really a good program, and Larry's done a great job with it. And, he, and like I said, he lets us, you know, teach what where, where our strengths are. So, awesome, um, Rucker. Tell the people where they can find you. 
Yeah, I met uh, Tyler underscore Rucker on Twitter, and um, I'll be at NoSealingsNBA.com as always. But I just want to make sure to say thanks for Dan for coming on. This has been a great episode. I hope uh, everyone listening heard what he said because it was a very, very uh, valuable resource to kind yes. of get an idea of what goes on behind the scenes. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah, yeah thank, uh, much much, appre- much appreciated. The insight was amazing. Uh, you can find me at Corey Tulliba on Twitter. Uh, make sure you hit No Ceilings TV on YouTube. Subscribe, rate, share the No Ceilings podcast because we we're climbing the chart. We got we got to get ourselves in the top ten by the the time yeah. the draft rolls around. You know we're we're hovering around you know a thirty burger right now, but we got to get into the top ten. So make sure you're sharing it and, and telling your friends that if they gotta if they want to know who their team's gonna pick, they gotta listen to the to the squad. Um, and until then, uh, we appreciate you uh, listening and and watching on Spotify. And until next time, we're out. <laughs>